0: Triple Cross, and again, this is your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier, for discussions, winwoodradio.com. Anyway, Triple Cross, uh, Peter Lance's fourth book, I understand, I believe, uh, relates to the fact that this gentleman was able to cross, if you will, three major U.S. fronts. And that would be the CIA, the FBI, and not only the U.S. Army, but the Green Berets out of Fort Bragg. So over the course of a couple decades, this Islamic spy was able to infiltrate all three of those U.S. organizations and cross them. In order to set up uh, Al-Qaeda-linked cells, terror cells, in the U.S., namely in New York City. And if you know about me and you visited my website, iantrottier.com, you'll know that I'm a California native from San Francisco. Another connection to this Ali Muhammad as he uh, had married a woman out of Santa Clara. So Peter Lance will be joining us in about uh, nine minutes. And uh, he will discuss with us his book, Triple Cross. And primarily, we will draw attention, he will draw attention. We will discuss investigating Trump. Um, as you know, right now in the United States, really globally, it's kind of like you look at what's happening in Venezuela, you look at the government in Brazil, you look at some of these Latin American governments, you look at Russia, I mean, Putin, like him or not, he's a dictator. He's been in power way too long. I think that a U.S. president in power for eight years is absurd. I think that there's no reason to have a man or a woman in power for more than four? Why do they need a second term? Look, if, if they're doing a great job, then what they've implemented is wonderful, and their administration is great, and things are doing well, and hey, look, the majority enjoy it. There's no need to have him repeat. I, don't, I think eight years is abs- absurd. It's too long. Uh, you need more turnover. And as we're seeing with this billionaire club... It seems like you almost have to be a member of. In uh, the Clintons, I don't think they're got billions by any means, but they're super PACs. They're, you know, they're doing the work. They're doing the work of, um, corporations, multi-billion-dollar corporations. Um, so they're in that sense they're puppets, if you ask me. Um, and uh, Trump, like him or not is benefiting greatly business-wise from having achieved the highest office in land. Um, Okay. The, the objective of my show is not to criticize to um, kind of tilt the scale in any favor. Uh, My objective is to level the playing field. Okay. I, I don't take sides. I, I don't, go one party or the other party i don't say yay or nay i basically spend time trying to captivate your interest for you to stand up just like i'm standing up that's all that's all i've done and people ask me all the time you know how did you get into this program what are you doing how did it get you here and and it was it was a it was really a fluke it was a very good friend of mine that originally uh hails from brooklyn in new york he's down here in Miami. And he said, You got to look into the Zika Dibrom thing. Dibrom a pesticide. It's being sprayed to kill the Zika virus back about a year ago. Well, less than a year, August, September. And I dove in, and everything I found was alarming to me. So, randomly, I was uh, doing a car sharing app, and I picked up a girl one day over in the Coral Gables. Area and I started telling her about the research I'd done and the connections I had made with the Rockefeller Foundation, a Chevron Chemical Corporation, and uh, that turned into a weekly uh, weekly hour to deliver you information and education. And now we continue to be very fortunate and very blessed. And that we have uh, some incredible guests coming onto this program. So, com. When you click on the radio tab, you'll find all of those guests. Past and future and soon to be present. Um, some incredible authors that have cr- and dug up some some amazing amazing information. Cynthia McKinney. Uh, congresswoman out of Georgia, the state of Georgia. She ran for president in 2008. She'll be joining the program. She's confirmed with me. Uh, she ran for president under the Green Party. All right. A couple weeks, we will host John Perkins. He's written New York Times best-selling book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Aaron Elizabeth, confirmed to come on the show. We're working on a date. Healthnet, excuse me, healthnutnews.com. Top 20 health and wellness destination globally. She's built that site in just under two years. And Brian Pla, uh, working on rescheduling him for the program. Gentera, it's a local company. Uh, it's a pharmaceutical angle to delivering nutrients, nutrients, uh, to athletes and, and, and people, it's a, it's just a just a, a new concept. And finally, let me share with you Chuck Morse, uh, the Nazi connection to Islamic terrorism. I don't have one genre that I stick to. I just know that as we the people stand up and voice the voice that we have, we can create a more balanced. And Democratic Republic. And that's what I'm doing. So Chuck Morris, uh, I think he's right now working at the Harvard University Extension School. His columns have appeared in the Boston Globe, the Washington Times, Newsmax, Front Page Magazine. He also has a radio show that he does out of Boston, I believe. Some of his guests have included Geraldo Riviera, Casper Weinberger, Jack Kemp, Noam Chomsky. Gloria Steinem. He will be on July fifth. Okay, uh, following him will be John Perkins. Next week we will have past guest uh, Michael Brill will be joining us to discuss numerology, and if you caught his episode, we're all numbers according to the system that he understands that is in a very small percentage of inhabitants that walk the planet. So listening to Michael interpret life and existence blows you away. Should blow you away, and certainly will blow you away. Um, Michael Brill will be on next week with... Uh, a wonderful new acquaintance that I I have. Um, Gabby Meese, Dr. Love, L-O-V-V-E. She's a matchmaker, but she brings an incredible angle to being and living that I find important and will deliver to you. So she's going to mesh with Michael, And we'll have a fascinating discussion next week with uh, Gabby and Michael. That'll be next week's show. Last week, if you didn't catch it, Arturo Borges. Uh, He's working on a comic that has the attention of um, uh, Archie Comics CEO, co-CEO, Nancy Silberkleet, if I'm pronouncing that for you correctly. So coming on the show here, uh, we're going to a break. But we will soon be joined by five-time Emmy Award-winning author uh, Peter Lance. This is your host, Ian Trottier, Windwood Radio. You're joining Discussions. Lance Peter are you there
1: I'm here man how you doing
0: fantastic I'm I'm great uh, we, we've we been inundated with uh, a lot of rain here lately in Miami uh, you're in California
1: yeah we're, we're not as uh, urgently concerned about Trump pulling out of the Paris Peace Accords as you guys should be <laughs> 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 but I don't mean to make light of global warming believe me
0: anyway. <laughs> no no it you, you make well anyway okay so today is Trump's birthday, and um, that's an interesting coincidence. I, I just I, I just seen that today that it was actually today's his seventy fourth birthday or something like that. Seventy first, I think. Seventy first, okay, okay, seventy first. So, um, so, so so that listeners understand, I, I and, and and we haven't quite figured out how the connection happened, but uh, it was it was a few days ago that I was investigating Zapata Zapata oil. Or petroleum, Zapata Petroleum, and uh, a, a small island off the coast of Cuba called Cay, uh, and that's C-A-Y-S-A-L. S-A-L. Now, most likely, if you're listening, you don't know either one of those entities. But Zapata Petroleum was a George uh, Senior Bush uh, oil petroleum company that that I understand he either headed or he owned um and uh and and, and it was it, what i was researching were connections through miami and then in dallas uh but through a through through a search i was prompted to um uh, this book that i that i mentioned in, uh, in 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 the intro uh that 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 peter uh, wrote called triple cross and that was uh, an element of the uh of the uh uh osama bin laden uh hierarchy this fellow named uh ali Muhammad. so peter uh put together this this book and uh it 's been it 's been a few years but uh but it was uh but it but it did very well and in fact peter why don't why don't you tell us uh, there 's two there 's two items that 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 peter has agreed to come on the show and discuss with us and that 's that 's one that 's that 's triple cross and then two, and that's why we've that's why he and we've brought up the Trump uh, item in in that uh, in that in investigatingtrump.com. Uh, you can go to peterlance.com, uh, but you but you also his one of his other current projects. If not, it seems like it may be you, you, more of your focal point at the moment is this investigatingtrump.com and investigating trump.com so we're, we're gonna we're gonna hit those those two elements today but peter if you would if you would take a moment and and describe describe to us exactly what uh what is triple cross
1: okay so long story short uh and if you go to my it's peter p-e-t-e-r-l-a-n-c-e dot com is my principal website but it links to this new website i have which curates the best investigative reporting on trump called investigating trump.com but at PeterLance.com, you'll see that I was, a, I was an ABC News correspondent kind of in the last great days of the, of the networks. In the late 80s, I covered the Reagan administration. And then for various personal reasons, I came to Hollywood in, in uh, the late 80s, and I worked in episodic TV on some iconic programs like Miami Vice, Crime Story, JAG. You know, I was a, I was a writer, producer showrunner. And then uh, after 9-11, my son, Christopher, was at a high school two blocks away from ground zero. So I decided to return to journalism to ask the question, how did this happen? Could it happen again? Because it was the greatest intelligence failure, not since Pearl Harbor, but since the Trojan horse. Okay. Mm. So I began with no security clearance, no, you know, no special talent. I had never really, I'd done a lot of uh, national reporting for ABC, but I had never done really counterintelligence work. So, uh, as it turns out, of the big five intelligence agencies then, the FBI was the only one that one could track without a security clearance, and that's because up until 9-11, the entire war on terror, as it was, was fought as a series of legal cases investigated by the FBI's New York office and prosecuted by the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, which was where Rudy Giuliani was, Louis Free, and then most recently, for until trump fired him the greatest uh, federal prosecutors office in america so i basically read all the cases the original world trade center bombing case what they call the day of terror case in nineteen ninety five which is a plot to blow up the bridges and tunnels into manhattan uh, the african embassy bombing case and then i read every book on the subject and i basically put together a, a, like a, a theory that the two two attacks on the trade center were connected And I was finishing doing a film for Showtime on the original bombing, and right after 9-11 I uncovered evidence that some of the hijackers had been to the same flight school as Ramzi Yousef's partner. And Ramzi Yousef is one of the great, iconic villains in the history of modern terror. He was a Kuwaiti. uh, He was a brilliant bomb maker trained in Wales. And his uncle is none other than Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who executed the 9-11 plot years later after Ramsey designed it. So I basically flew to the Philippines where Yusef fled after the New York bombing. I met with the Colonel Rodolfo Mendoza, the Philippines National Police, who gave me three or four inches thick of heretofore classified documents on Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the interrogation of Yusef's partner, a guy named Abdul-Hakim Murat. Everything I'm telling you right now, if you go to PeterLance.com, You'll see there's a timeline right at the beginning of the home page that has all of this. If you click on the timeline, download it, read it another time after the broadcast, you'll see this incredible story of how al-Qaeda using two world-class, like, bad guys, Ramzi Youssef was the bomb maker, and Ali Mohammed, who was their chief spy, basically outwitted the FBI for decades, I mean, for years, mm-hmm. starting in the summer of 1989, really, and that the FBI had multiple opportunities to connect the dots and prevent 9-11. That's the argument that I've made. It's not some wacko conspiracy theory. It's really well documented. So I've written three books for HarperCollins, which is the largest English language publisher in the world. And the first one called A Thousand Years for Revenge. second one called Cover-Up, which is about the 9-11 commission of for which I te- before which I testified. Mm. And that this third one is Triple Cross. That led me, that investigation led me into another investigation of organized crime, because as wild as this is going to sound to you, and could only happen in New York, there is a nexus between the the terror story and the mafia story, because, in effect, the FBI was so obsessed with FBI forever bothering Italians and getting John Gotti that they took their eye in the New York office uh, from this metastasizing al-Qaeda-funded cell that began really... uh, finding its way into New York as early as 1989. Then uh, the Rabbi Meir Kahani, this famous Jewish figure, was murdered in 1990. That was the first blood, I argue, spilled by al-Qaeda on U.S. soil. And then there was the Trade Center bombing in 1993 that killed six and injured a 1,000. And eventually there was the 9-11 attack. And the FBI had so many opportunities along the way. In the beginning, you could argue they were negligent. Then they were grossly negligent by, for not connecting the dots. And ultimately, I began to believe they began covering things up. They covered up their own mistakes uh, out of embarrassment. And ultimately, I prove in my work that, that within months before 9 11, there was a check uh, cashing mailbox store in Jersey City where two of the hijackers got their fake IDs, the two of the guys that flew AA 77 into the Pentagon. And those guys had been on the FBI's radar for years, and that particular, I mean, for months. They were in San Diego initially, but that particular mailbox uh, check-cashing store called Sphinx Trading, like Egyptian Sphinx, that store had been on the FBI's radar going back to the early 90s. And if they'd only set up a surveillance plant or perch, as they did outside the Ravenite Social Club of Gotti, they would have been in the middle of the 9-11 plot in the summer of uh, 2001. That's the essence of the story that I've been telling. And most recently now I've been working on, the, you know, the greatest investigative story of our time, the, the, the hijacking of the U.S. presidency with the help of Russia, with the installation of Donald Trump as president, and uh, either as a useful fool, as the Russians would say, or as a complicitor. That remains to be seen in the investigation of Robert Mueller. But absolutely I have uncovered evidence as I work on a new book on the on the Russian election hack, that there was there's probative circumstantial evidence that they not only hacked the Democratic National Committee and and, and produced this embarrassing information from John Podesta's emails that affected Hillary Clinton in the normal conventional uh, campaign, but that they also uh, penetrated key voting districts in those battleground states that Trump was able to get the presidency. To the electoral college on in, in less than 110,000 votes. Okay, so that is the work that's my principal obsession right now, and in, a, in, a, in a, saying that in a positive way.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh, I was really happy when you connected with me uh, on Triple Cross. So that's that's my long introduction.
0: That's no, that's that's awesome. And so you're throwing out and there's wh- what I didn't realize is before was it, it may have been before the Bautista regime. That caused the revolt for Castro to move into Cuba, but at some point, from my understanding, briefly on that line that led me to you was that there was a huge mafia presence, and that would be uh, Italian and most likely, and maybe Sicilian. I'm not sure, but there was a huge uh, presence, a mafia presence in on the island of Cuba which 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 caused uh which led to a, a lot of gambling there was a, like a huge gambling issue in, in in Cuba uh historically so there's you know there is a mafia connection to, to all these. And, and 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 in in the russian connection here to the hacking there's maybe maybe an element 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 of russian mafia which is uh different from the italian mafia and i don't know if anything what any of what i'm saying is kind of Hitting, yeah. hitting anything with all
2: you? Right,
1: yeah. l- let me let me just jump in real qu- quickly. First of all, yeah, there definitely was uh, the Russian, is, is famously portrayed in Godfather Part Two, uh, with Lee Strasberg playing a Meyer Lansky-like figure with Michael Corleone. You know, we're gonna if I if I wake up in the morning and there's a brute case with a million dollars, I'll know I have a partner. If I don't, <laughs> I don't. You know, whatever. So yeah, sure. It's c- clearly, the mob was was in Cuba, but I'm not talking about a mafia connection. To the terrorism story per se, yeah. only the nexus of that, the connection, was in 1996. And this is this is a story that you wouldn't believe, but it's on the timeline. I'm just going to tell your listeners this now. It's absolutely true. And if you go to peterlance.com, uh, uh, to the upper left corner on my homepage, you'll see a little column that says investigations, and it says Greg Scarpa Jr., a mafia wise guy, uncovers a treasure trove of Al Qaeda intel. So this was. Something that happened by accident, but that's where the connection began, and that is so. It's not like the the American Mafia was involved with terrorism. This guy, Greg Scarpa Jr., who is the son of of senior, who was called the the Killing Machine and the Grim Reaper, he he stopped counting after fifty murders. Gregory Scarpa Senior. He is the subject of my fourth book, which is called Deal with the Devil, and it's like the Whitey Bulger story on. Steroids. Any of your listeners saw the Johnny Depp film "Black Mass" and know about Whitey Bulger sure. in Boston, he was what they called the a top echelon criminal informant. And what the FBI did, and did the same thing with Greg Scarpa, but Greg Scarpa was the original top echelon criminal informant the FBI would basically hire these criminals to in, give them information and allow them to stay on the street, run interference for them, prevent them from being captured or arrested by legitimate agencies trying to put them away. They'd stay on the street and in the end they in the deal with the devil you know, meaning, you know, the, that's the compromise they made, the devil got so much more out of the bargain than the feds <laughs> because these guys were smart, crafty criminals and they figured out how to prosper. And in the case of Greg Scarpa Senior, he was on the FBI's payroll going back to nineteen sixty one. He made over a million dollars in payments from the Bureau in twenty thirteen dollars when I had computed it when the book came out, Deal with the Devil. And ironically, he was in the Colombo crime family, one of the top five New York families. Mm. That family, because of his presence in it, uh, was the most violent of all the families. Like the Gambinos had like 600 made guys. The, the Colombos only had 110, but they wreaked the most havoc. They had three separate wars. And the most recent war they had was in the early 90s in Brooklyn, which 14 people were killed, including two innocent bystanders. And they just wreaked havoc in in Brooklyn until ultimately they were, you know, the feds, through Rudy Giuliani prosecuting them, et cetera, brought them down. Now, Scarpa Jr., the son of Greg Sr., the killing machine, happened to be in in Manhattan MCC, which is the Manhattan Federal Jail in Lower Manhattan, in 1996. And in between, he was in a cell on the ninth floor tier, in between Ramzi Youssef, the original World Trade Center bomber, the, the Mozart of Terror, as I call him, who was, then, who was captured in Pakistan and rendered back. And the other side was a guy named Abdul-Hakim Murad, who's Yusuf's lifelong friend, a pilot trained in five U.S. flight schools. And I had found out through this Philippines intelligence I got that they had designed this planes-as-missiles plot as early as 1995, but they had a fire in their bomb factory. They were going to try and kill the pope when he visited. There were, you know, a multitude of villainy was being planned by this al-Qaeda cell. They were stopped through the fire and Yusuf and KSM fled to Islamabad. Yusuf was captured. KSM went on to do 9-11 to execute the plot in 2001. Now, Junior Scarpa is in this jail cell. So Yusuf and Murad, they break bed struts away. This is like a movie scene, but I'm telling it's true. They break these bed struts away and creating holes in the wall, and they pass these little notes through to Scarpa, who father, being having been a, stayed out of jail at the behest of the feds, ratted them out to the FBI. And for 11 months, he was feeding information on this terrorism, the stuff, their plots, to the FBI, to the point where, at one point, the intelligence was so good that the FBI let Yusuf make calls from the tier, from the payphone outside his cell. And they patched those through. Yusuf thought he was calling like mob guys who were patching them through to his cohort. And, in fact, it was the FBI. So they patched them through to Doha, Gutter, this, com- this country that's now in the news because of Trump, et cetera. And, 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 uh, and, and this is one thing Trump is right about. Doha, Gutter, the, the al-Fani regime in Doha is totally, they're Sunnis and they're pro, they've been pro-Al uh, Qaeda and pro-terrorism for years. And they were harboring Khalid Sheikh Mohammed in 1996. So the FBI sends the hostage rescue team, which is the, you know, kick the door down, you know, the render team that they send overseas to bring people back. And they are waiting at the airport, cooling their heels while the Alfani spirit KSM out of the country to the Czech Republic, only to have the towers go down on 9-11. So this intelligence from Scarpa Jr. was genuine, pristine, et cetera. And with any other informant, he would have been released from jail or have a diminished Sentence, you know, when he came up, he was going to go on trial for drug uh, charges in 1998, but they basically buried him. They gave him a 40 year sentence because they were so embarrassed by the unholy relationship that Scarpa Sr. had with an FBI agent named linda vecchio that they decided that about 75 cases in this third Colombo War would go down if Scarpa Jr. was believed. So rather than give Garpa Jr., the credit he deserved, and, and you know, give him, to, you know, downward release time, as they say in the, in, in the federal terminology, they basically threw away the key, okay? And I began writing about this. I found out about it, so I wrote about it in my second book called Triple uh, a Cover-Up, and then later I did this huge book called Deal with the Devil. And, and you know, and Patrick Fitzgerald, who was the U.S. attorney in, he was the assistant U.S. attorney in Manhattan at the time. 1996. He was the head of organized crime and terrorism. There was one unit. He visited Scarpa. He was completely aware of how genuine the Scarpa materials were. And if you go to peterlance.com and go to that little thing, Greg Scarpa Jr., you can click on these FBI 302 memos. A lot of what you've heard this term 302 memos and the whole Comey uh, controversy mm-hmm. recently, the FBI. Records these memos in the regular course of doing business, memos that they expect someday may see the light of day. They're not classified, and so the FBI did 11 months of memos documenting what Scarpa uncovered from Yusuf. And yet Fitzgerald, in order to preserve these mob cases in the Southern District and not embarrass the Feds because of the unholy alliance they had with Scarpa's father, called all of this a hoax and a scam, which is a complete falsehood, mm. a complete lie and basically, you know, Barry Scarpa. When I reported that in Triple Cross, Patrick Fitzgerald, who had been the US attorney in Chicago, who put Blagojevich governor Blagojevich away and who also at the time was the chief uh, the special counsel what what Robert Mueller is now to the Trump Russia investigation, Patrick Fitzgerald was to the Valerie Plame CIA leak investigation, okay? Wow. He was this probably the most powerful fed in the country in the year 2007 and after i reported on him in my book Triple Cross and told this totally truthful libel proof story factual <laughs> story uh he started threatening me and Harper Collins with libel he was going to sue us uh, personally for libel which is unheard of cuz public officials and public uh public uh figures in order for them to collect a libel claim, they not only have to prove that what you say is false, they have to prove that you published it with reckless disregard for the truth or actual malice, meaning that Peter Lance knew it was false, and so did Collins, and they published it anyway, which is absurd. All of my books were vetted heavily by outside counsel. But nonetheless, given his power, Patrick Fitzgerald had put... Judith Miller of the New York Times locked her up for 85 days in that whole investigation. So if you can lock up a New York Times reporter, you've got a lot of juice, okay? At yeah. least he thought he did. <laughs> so he came after us for 20 months, and he took me out of play. I, I couldn't do any work. I had to, like, defend myself. I had to re take all my files out of storage and reprove every single fact. But in the end, I did. And the new paperback edition of Triple, Triple Cross, which, you, which is there's a link on my website. You can order it through Amazon. There's a time, that timeline that you see that you can download yeah. for free right now as a PDF. We put that out in 2009. It, normally the paperback comes out the year after, the hardcover in '06. This took three years, but it, there's 26 extra pages to show you how embarrassed the feds were by what this reporter, Peter Lance, without any, I had, wow. I had no resources other than a book advance. I had no security clearance. You know what I had? Shoe leather and tenacity. And my ability to talk to people and get people to believe me, including a number of FBI agents in the New York office who were my sources, and I wrote this book. It came out, and then I did this other book, Deal with the Devil. And this project has now propelled me into the book I'm doing on the Trump investigation. Because guess what? Okay, there's actually (laughs) there's a payoff to this long (laughs) soliloquy, Ian, and and the payoff is that Felix Sater. S a t e r, F e l i x, S a t e r is a stone Russian mafia guy who was in business with Donald Trump, and and Donald Trump knew him. (laughs) I have him going back as early as 1996 with a connection to Trump at 40 Wall Street, a a business that Trump owned when Sater was running a kind of Wolf of Wall Street pump and dump scheme to defraud up to 40 million dollars from investors. But his father, Michael Sherasovsky, is a Stone capo in the Magillovich crime family, Russian, the most dangerous and biggest Russian crime family in the world. They came from the Ukraine when young Felix was like under 10 years old, he went to Pace University a few months, got his broker's license, and then one night after he'd made a few thousand bucks, he got into a bar fight, stabbed a guy with the stem from a margarita glass, 110 stitches in the guy's face, and Felix goes away for a year and a half, gets out And even though he loses his broker's license, starts up this pump-and-dump scheme, uh, you know, called White Rock Partners that defrauded all this money. The U.S. attorney in Brooklyn now comes, this is where the feds are connected to so many of these things. The U.S. attorney in Brooklyn was Loretta Lynch, ultimately, that presided (laughs) over this case. And because Felix Sater ultimately convinced her the way... Scarpa convinced the feds that he was going to help them and the way Whitey Bulger Bulger in Boston convinced the feds he basically convinced uh, Loretta Lynch after 9/11 that because he was Russian mob he could get information on stinger missiles that were allegedly going to Osama bin Laden it was absolute bunk okay it was bs okay. but Loretta Lynch bought it and this guy basically was protected by the feds they put seals upon seals on his case so that nobody no innocent investors could figure out that he was a criminal. And he ended up in business with Trump. He was one of the main uh, partners on Trump's Soho, a 46 story building. And he later ended up at Trump Tower with a business card, senior advisor to the Trump Organization, with offices at Trump Tower. And as recently as January, he was involved in that, floating that Ukrainian peace proposal with Michael Cohen, Trump, Trump's lawyer and a Ukrainian pro Putin uh, politician so that sanctions could be lifted. So Felix Sater runs like a hot circuit cable through this story, and he's the principal subject of my book on Trump. So that's where the Russian mafia comes in, if any of this makes
0: sense. Dude, you're like a you're like one of the only, you, I don't know if you're practicing or not, but you seem like one of the only honest lawyers in the U.S.
1: No, I don't practice. I'm not a practicing <laughs> lawyer. I have a J.D. from Fordham, class of 78, and a master's from Columbia J. School, but... It's, you know, and I have to tell you something that ter- law school was like boot camp for an investigative reporter. The whole that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Sorry. it's like yeah. it makes your mind. It organizes yeah. your mind. It's like learning how to be an emergency room doctor. Right. What is the key? Yeah. Quickly diagnosing pathology. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's the skill set that I've developed after all these years. And I'm happy that you found me, and that your audience of young people who really are hungry for the truth out there have found this work. And you know, maybe they'll, you know, if they it's, like, I, I my my Twitter handle is my name P E T E R L A N C E, all caps underscore, and and I have a thing hashtag inv- hashtag investigating Trump. So the more people that can you know begin to follow what we're doing, and every day I put two or three choice articles up on the website and I I do HuffPost post myself about once a month but just now I put up a killer timeline if you want to talk timelines, okay. it's on investigating Trump and it says about Bill Moyers and this guy named Stephen J Harper is an incredible lawyer the most mind-blowing timeline of uh, r- relating to Trump's connections to Russia that you will I'm telling you it's beyond the beyond good okay so that's up there right
0: now. And that's a resource too. That's that's in, that's insane. That's that's totally incredible, man. But let's get it. Let's get into that. So, okay. um, Give us what you got, man. Investigating Trump, uh, as 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 I've explained to you, and, and we're on the same page. We're all about information, getting people out there to talk, to speak for themselves, and and and. and, and I said a phrase that I liked quite a bit uh, earlier in my introduction to the show, but it, you know it's all it's it's really it's all about we the people, voicing our opinions so that so that so that we can maintain and tear down some of these I mean tear down some of these layers that are just just filthy uh, mentally filthy and and, 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 and and make sure that our republic stays uh, a just and balanced uh, democracy. but as as listeners would know, Clinton wins, and this is this is like shades of Gore Bush, but Clinton wins the majority. Yet the guy we got in office is the guy that wins the electorate college, which, okay, wait, that's yeah. I mean, so he won
1: by listen. He won by less than one hundred and ten thousand votes. Okay, in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. When Jill, a lot of people think, well, you know, Jill Stein did a recount. No, Jill Stein only did a recount in Wisconsin, and actually they picked up like 300 votes or so for Trump. But a judge in Michigan barred her from the recount, and she didn't have, she didn't file in time in Pennsylvania, so the the votes were not recounted. But I can tell you, one of the things that I'm developing in this book, and right now I've kind of had to delay my, I was going to try and actually have the book out by the end of summer, but I have just recently a couple of really amazing producers have, have optioned two of my books for me to develop them into a 10 hour series for cable because I write screenplays as well. So that's what I'm focusing on now a hundred percent develop because that's the story. Well, I'm doing basically the story of how I uncovered all this stuff as a 10 hour series, like the people versus OJ, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So, but when I get to writing the book, I'm the book is going to focus principally on Felix Sater and that, because there's a million threads, a million roads you could go down, and you, you, you need to focus. And I think the most uh, powerful way of any prosecutor proving culp- criminal culpability on Trump's part will come from this, <clears throat> this side of the Atlantic uh, in, in the, his involvement with Felix Sater and these other uh, people relating to Russian oligarchs through Bayrock. It's called Bayrock Company if you if you go to yeah. you know if you go to if you go to investigating trump okay my website
2: mm-hmm.
1: investigatingtrump.com and at the top of the site you'll see a thing that says the russia trump connection you click on that and it's going to have like 250 of the best articles going back as far back as i began to assemble them and some <laughs> go back into the 90s okay and uh, so that's one one way area that you can begin to study the other thing that is the most Amazing part of the story is you go on virtually listen to anybody, including James Comey, including all the talking heads on CNN and even MSNBC, as great as Rachel Maddow is, and they all go, well, there's no evidence that there was any hacking of the actual physical vote. No, that's wrong. There's actually compelling evidence. There's a scholar at Princeton. There's one at Michigan who have looked into voting machines. And one of the things that's amazing, they talk about First of all, the voter registration rolls in 2016 were hacked by the Russians in Arizona and Illinois. Homeland Security sent out a warning to the boards of the secretaries of state of all the states, warning them about the vulnerability of their voting systems. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, ever since Bush Gore, because of the problem with the hanging chads, mm-hmm. the paper ballot is the only ballot that you can is 100% full safe, fail safe. That is to say. You have a copy of the, of the ballot, and then you can you can check it, okay? But what happened was after Bush Gore, and that about eighty percent of the voting systems in the country went to some kind of a me- mechanical or electronic yeah. voting machine, a touchpad, or etc. And these professors at both Princeton and Michigan have shown that you can take the average, the dominant num- one of those devices, and you can hack it in under seven minutes. And when I say hack it, you can install a card in that machine that basically If there's 10 votes and seven were for Hillary and three were for Trump, when it gets the readout and then it checks as as if it's valid, it'll show Trump got seven and she's got three. Most of the voting machines in the country are kept in warehouses that are just on a single padlock. They're Mm -hmm. not guarded 24-7. They're, you know, that for two years go by. So if you had, like... 10 or 20 good agents, Soviet, um, excuse me, Russian <laughs> agents mm-hmm. that were in those three or four <laughs> b- battleground states, maybe including Florida, North Carolina, and you began to tamper with some of those voting machines. That's one way to, to have the, hack, the vote affected. Second way is in the reporting. If you can, it's even easier without even hacking the machines, if you can go to the reporting where once the the, board, the boards of canvasses report to the Secretary of State, you could penetrate and manipulate the vote that way as the votes are reported and then the Secretaries of State once they reach their total, their systems can be hacked. So and, and here's the most astonishing circumstantial evidence of this thing. Somebody has gone in. I don't want to give away the family jewels, because I'm going to report on this in my book, but mm-hmm. several people have begun to compare contiguous counties in, like, Wisconsin and Michigan. I'm not talking about gerrymandered counties, where you might have a liberal in one county and then the next county county's Republican. I'm talking about contiguous counties where the people have the same general political mindset, mm-hmm. economic mindset, all right? And in the counties where there were just paper ballots, and some had them in Wisconsin or Michigan, Those counties' where votes were tabulated. Hillary Clinton won by two and a half points or whatever was generally predicted in the polls. The next county over where there was a mechanical machine or electronic machine, Trump won by seven points, okay? Now, that to me is like, wow. I mean, it's circumstantial. There's no way we can ever prove it because, again, the votes have disappeared. You understand that if you don't have the paper ballot, you can't tell. Mm -hmm. And in the places where they have the paper ballot, Hillary won. But if you consider the fact that she won by 3 million popular votes above right. Trump, and that his seizure of the White House, and I'm going to use that term very carefully, <laughs> he seized the White House in what I, what I amounts in my opinion to a coup d'etat. Yeah. He basically did that with under 110,000 votes. So just think about how easy it would be, given the resources of the Russians, and the FSB, to be that we know what they've already done. They also hacked like up to, I think, nine congressional district races in Florida. Well, that's also known. So that, to me, is the most chilling, dangerous aspect of the story right now, because the 2018 vote is coming up, you see? And if we don't, if we don't get a hold of this thing, if we, we don't take control yeah. of it, then our democracy is in grave peril, apart from whoever's occupying the White House right now.
0: Yeah, no. This is this is insane, and 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 as as listeners go to investigatingtrump.com, dot com and 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 please follow Peter on Twitter, Peter Lance all caps and then underscore it's at Peter Lance all caps and underscore investigatingtrump.com. dot com. You can see, and it's and, and I'm sure that the average American, and if you're listening out there, you've probably Combine the fact that hey, Trump, Trump's a guy. He knows marketing. He knows advertising. He was the face of uh, whatever that show was, for The Apprentice. The Apprentice for a number of years. Um, and, uh, and 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 here on here on Peter's site, it, it, the first the first image you're going to find here is the early years of Trump, and it probably predates this. But you've just got a date 1987 as Trump applying, and this would coordinate to 1996, applying for a trademark in Russia. So the average listener, the average American is probably already saying, hey, look, and it's you, you see it in Venezuela, you see it all over the world. Families and guys get in the power to make money, to control. And, 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 and so, Peter, tell us, from what you've been able to, 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 to dig up and uncover, what's in it for Russia? at this point, what, what, what is Putin? And I'm going to, I'm going to assume it's Putin that, that, and, and, and yeah, I, yeah. yeah,
1: Putin, Putin is Russia. Yeah. Putin is, here's what's in it immediately. Like with the snap of, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm snapping my finger in front of my iPhone, right? With the snap of a finger, if the sanctions were lifted, now let's just go over why there were sanctions on Russia. They invaded Crimea. They mm-hmm. actually invaded another country. The Soviet union was broken apart. But Vladimir Putin, as he sees power, is a super nationalist. He wants to return the old USSR. He wants to pull right. it back together again if he can, right? Yeah. He wants to destabilize Europe as much as possible. And so Vladimir Putin invades the Ukraine. So, rightfully, not just the United States under Obama, but all the other righteous Western democracies put sanctions on Russia, serious sanctions. And overnight, a big deal that they had in the works with ExxonMobil to drill in the Arctic Circle, which would have been worth billions for Russia and billions for ExxonMobil, with the k went on that, boom, dead. Deal is dead. So the first thing that Vladimir Putin wanted in getting Trump installed in the White House was getting the sanctions lifted. That was his immediate goal, because Russia is really hurting financially. <clears throat> you saw this week there were thankfully you know, hundreds of thousands of Russians in the streets protesting And many of them were being arrested, as he often does, you know, as Putin has been doing. But the people of Russia are, you know, the economy is not doing well. And the main reason it's not doing well is that Russia is a kleptocracy. It it has become under Putin. It was a democracy. You know, Boris Yeltsin was the first democratically elected leader. And then he was in a little bit of a trouble, in a little bit of trouble going into the new millennium. So uh, this lieutenant colonel in the KGB named Vladimir Putin created what's called a honeypot. He basically, and this is going to sound familiar in a, little, in a minute when I tell you the story, so this guy Putin did this classic KGB tradecraft where he, they, they, had, they wired a hotel room, and the main investigating magistrate who was going after Boris Yeltsin was trapped with his inflagrante delicto, if you will, with prostitutes and embarrassed, and he backed off. So so Yeltsin loved that. That was really great. That endeared Putin to Boris Yeltsin. And then very few people know that the night of the millennium, where everybody was worried about whether there was going to be some crazy thing that was going to happen to the, you know, the, you know, computers worldwide, yeah. Yeltsin resigned unexpectedly. And who took over? This guy Vladimir Putin mm-hmm. took over. And basically for the last 17 years, in between Medvedev, who was really just a, a front for him, he has... Consolidated his power, and here's how he did it. He did it two different ways, and this relates back to the Trump story. He created oligarchs, and what these oligarchs are, uh, as as Putin basically uh, uh, sold off huge parts of of Russia's resources: the gas uh, industry, the oil industry, the aluminum industry, bauxite, fertilizer. You know, all these incredibly lucrative. You know, Russia's one has. Some of the greatest natural resources mm-hmm. in the world. He basically privatized them, and he allowed certain of his cronies to 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 run them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know the word is we don't know. We're not in the room. We we don't see the where the money goes. But the money is kicked back upstairs to Vlad. Okay, mm-hmm. so he is now considered to be one of the richest men in the world, rivaling Bill Gates. And the, but he also did business with the Russian mafia, which was very began to get really strong after the and the as the wall fell as, as as Gorbachev began as the USSR fell apart the russian mafia gained more and more power so what 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 putin did very wisely the, the the russian mafia leaders he couldn't reason with he killed or sent to the gulag and the ones that would play ball with them he made them oligarchs so now he's got these oligarchs who are mafia guys and he's got these other oligarchs one of the oligarchs that was created by putin it's known as, uh, it's called Dmitry Rabolovlev, and he's the fertilizer king. He's the guy that when Donald Trump was in, uh, like, alleged to be in $60 million of debt to Deutsche Bank, he, this guy Rabolevlev buys a, like, this garish property in Palm Beach that, that Trump had bought for, like, $40 million. Mm. And, and nobody could figure out what he was going to do with it because it was just this awful, huge mm. estate. And Rebolovlev, who had only visited it once and later tore it down, paid $100 million. Trump suddenly made a $60 million profit at a time when he owed $60 million to mm. Deutsche Bank. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Nice, man. So that's why follow the money is really crucial here, like the old Watergate phrase, follow the money. Mm. And because Trump has refused to release his tax returns, we don't, Really know the extent of his debt, which is really important, because that can show you who can put the finger on him, and he's allowed because he hasn't put his properties in a blind trust as recently as last week with or a few days ago. The U.S. attorneys in Maryland and D.C. went after him for this new Trump uh, hotel in the post office building in Washington because it's basically a stone violation of the Emoluments Clause, allowing Russian leaders, Russian interests and foreign interests, not just Russia, but all over the world, to stay there, to funnel money to Trump's or to the Trump organization and curry favor with a sitting president, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it's like... Any one of these scandals, if they were an individual, would be above the full front page of the New York Times. But because Trump is, it, it has so many conflicts, and it, it, it just—it's it, like staggering. Like, like every other day, there's another story. But the great news is, I just want to say this. Yeah. In, in uh, to go along with what you said about the need for people to understand, there was a famous judge called Learned. Hand, L E R N E D, that was his first name, Hand, H A N D. And he was the head of the Second Circuit Court of Appeals in Washington. Many people called him the 10th Justice because he had so many cases involving the federal government. And he had a great phrase. He said, From a multitude of tongues comes the truth. From uh-huh, a multitude uh-huh. of tongues comes the truth, which is why it's so great. You have alternative radio like you're on right now. You, you, yes. you, you're not beholden to some rich. Uh, right. Company that bought a broadcast stick, as they used to call it, radio towers. You know, you're right. able to get the truth out via the internet, and so are you know. just as Trump uses social media to a, a negative end, people can respond in a positive way. You see, so anyway, it's the journalism that's happening now. The, the, it's, it's the golden age of investigative journalism. I mean, not since Watergate yes. have we seen this kind of enterprise reporting. And it's why we know as much as we know all Trump wants to do is is plug the leaks cut off the heads of the messengers that are delivering this news but that is what's propelling these investigations forward
0: that's that's amazing uh Peter um uh, give us give us that give us that awe connection that's just gonna blow our eardrums out what what i mean there's there's as you go to investigatingtrump.com, and, and I got to ask, I mean, this is like, dude, you've got, like, a full-on operating machine here. You can't be doing this by yourself. You got, are you doing this alone?
1: Yeah, I'm doing it alone with wow. no, by the way, this is another thing. If anybody wants to go to investigating Trump, there's a little thing at the top that says, uh, support this site, right? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm doing this, it's a PayPal thing. I, have, I am doing this completely pro bono.
0: You know, I, I have,
1: fortunately, I have other, re, like, re, re, you know, relatively uh, modest resources, but, and I'm working on this project now, adopting my, my books for the screen. Yeah. And, uh, but this project that, that consumes a certain amount of every day is one that is just purely dedicated to the people. Because, and the reason I started, I was trying to do a HuffPost last December on Trump's one of his conflicts of interest, and I was having trouble finding stuff. You know, as an investigative reporter, I was so I said, you know what? I'm going to set up a site that's like an aggregate site. So you go to any article on here, there's no copyright violation because I literally reproduce the article as it is, and I have an immediate link back to the original article. I don't charge any advertising. Furthermore, I take the the author of the article, like Stephen Harper, the guy that the genius lawyer who did this timeline. And I and I and I tweet to him, and I go, Steven, bravo! So those guys are following me now, like the reporters nice. from the New York Times and the Post and Joe Johns and CNN and people like that follow the site because it's a way to get a quick overview of like what are the hot stories of the day, you know, what are the best investigative stories? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know, you're probably running out of time right now, but uh, okay. I don't we're, know what you're doing. We're independent, man. How long man. are you on the air for? What, how much more time do we have? We
0: can we can run it a few more minutes. It's not a problem. We, we're not, like you said, you know, we're not, we, we don't have any uh, advertisers that we have to hear to. We're, we're, we're fine. We're just a small okay. little independent good. station, man, so we're good. All
1: right, good. So, anyway, uh, I wanted to, if people can go to, uh, at some point, you know, I know if people are listening in their car or their however they're listening to this if they're not on if you're on a computer i guess i guess that's how you have to listen to it one way but if you go to peterlance.com, my other website which is my name p-e-t-e-r-l-a-n-c-e.com, and if you look at this thing that says reporting and analysis on the right scroll down below there's a link to order my books you know uh, from amazon if you're interested but i have a, a huff post that i wrote in uh, now, it actually, I wrote it in 2006 and updated in, two, in 2011. It says, Al-Qaeda and the mob, why the FBI blew it on 9-11. And that is basically <laughs> the story that I told earlier in this broadcast of how the, this obsession with the mafia, okay, getting Gotti, which was the principal, uh, like, obsession of the New York office of the FBI for years and years, caused them to take their eye off what was a metastasizing Al-Qaeda cell in New York that took down the towers and that if they had only set up a surveillance facility across from this place sphinx trading they would have been in the middle of the nine eleven plot your jaw will drop when you read this it's all true and why should we care now i want to i want to close on this note This is why it's really important for you guys out there men and women who are listening to this to be hyper vigilant and to educate yourself and keep the pressure on because here's (laughs) the worry Uh, The Justice Department is, as good an institution as it is, is also capable of great villainy, as I've I've documented in my books. And one of the things that they never do is they never want to, like, admit fault. And therefore, there's very little correction of any pathology that exists in the FBI and the Justice Department. And obviously, these guys on Capitol Hill, as we've seen demonstrated, these oversight committees do very little oversight. OK, so what I'm concerned about now is that Robert Mueller, as, as good as he, his reputation is as mm-hmm. an uncompromising guy, Robert Mueller committed a, a fair number of sins when he was director of the FBI. He appointed a guy named Dale Watson, who was the head of t- counterterrorism, who was an absolute empty-suit, wing-tipped bozo, who didn't even know the difference between Sunnis and Shia. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this is the cheap FBI counterterrorism guy. Uh, they, for years, the FBI only as recently as 2012, when I updated it for my book, Deal with the Devil. They only had like I think three or four hundred people who spoke the language of the enemy: Arabic, Urdu,
2: hmm.
1: you know, Farsi. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, how are you going to track these guys if you don't you don't even have those capabilities? Wow. So here's the thing: they covered up this whole thing with with uh, Ramsey Youssef and Greg Scarpa Jr. that led Patrick Fitzgerald. And who is Patrick Fitzgerald? He's James Comey's best friend. James Comey is the one oh, on, that, that appointed Patrick Fitzgerald special prosecutor in the CIA leak case. He's the one that sent him to Chicago as U.S. attorney. So as good as James Comey may be, and he's now, we're, de- we're depending on James Comey to be a hero, right? right. We really are, all of us, because we're, we're not going to depend on, on Burr, Richard Burr, who was on uh, chairman of Senate Intelligence, who was on Trump's transition, uh, and who actually flacked for Trump early on against the press, and as recently as, I think, March of this year, he and Devin Nunes, that other, that uh, I'll call him a numbness, you know, chairman of the House Intelligence <laughs> Committee, who allow himself to be used to the point of compromising their investigation. So those guys aren't going to do anything. The Republicans aren't going to do anything to pursue this because they know they're going to lose the presidency over this, mm-hmm. right? So we are now counting on the Department of Justice and veterans like Robert Mueller who was a US attorney in in uh, San Francisco before he became the FBI director uh. we're counting on this guy and if Robert Mueller lays down on any part of this because for example they're embarrassed over the Loretta Lynch connection to Felix Sater or that part of the story that I told you mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying mm-hmm. then we're not going to get all the truth so we need the public to get smart about this and to educate themselves and that's the purpose Of investigating Trump. dot com and lance dot com, the work that I do, just to put it out there so you guys will get smart. And nothing with you know, I'm as competitive as any journalist, and I, when my book comes out, I want it to be you know a bestseller and all that. Sure, uh, not just for financial reasons because I want as many eyes on it as possible. But in the end, it's you guys are the ones that need to audit this democracy that we have because the auditors are failing, you know? And right. my first book, A Thousand Years' Revenge, I opened with a quote from the from the Roman poet Juvenal, qui es custodides, who is guarding the guardians themselves? Hmm. Okay? The answer is you. Yeah. Okay?
0: Incredible, man. All right. Wow. Peter, what a resource you have been. What a contribution, man! Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, there will be future dialogue. And, right. uh, dude, <laughs> I thank you for being an amazing American. I mean, dude. Well, thank you for like having me on. I'll I'll be
1: on in the future. just get as if you can get as many eyes as you can on investigatingtrump.com, dot com. And uh, if somebody out there says, you know, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, spend twenty-five bucks at PayPal to support this site, I haven't really pushed that at all. I send money every month just to Wikipedia, not to WikiLeaks. Let's make a distinction, <laughs> but to Wikipedia. I just have a regular thing that Good money gets taken out of my PayPal account every month because of the beautiful resource of Wikipedia. I mean, yeah. how lucky are we to have that, right? Yeah. So, you know, whatever people can do. And if you want to go to to Amazon, go to my website, go to the com. scroll down on the right-hand side, you'll see a link to my books. Uh, If you get the books, if you want to start with it, you know. But just read that little free timeline, that 32-page timeline. Print it out. If you have a color printer, that's all the better. And, you know, read it tonight with a glass of red wine in your hand and the soundtrack to Chinatown playing in the background. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I think you'll find it a pretty interesting read.
0: Peter Lance, ladies and gentlemen. Peter, thank okay, you. Okay, brother.
1: All right. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thank you.
0: Incredible. Winwood Radio. Hang up that. Uh, hang up that line. Holy smokes! I mean, was that amazing or what? This is your host. Ian Hamilton, Trottier. Okay, my my family's been uh, in North America since 1640. That's the Trottier line stemming from uh, essentially the outskirts of Lyon, France. My mother's British. My Trottier line uh, landed in San Francisco in 1890 where I hail from and currently enjoying my time in the beautiful sun of Miami, Florida. Each and every one of us, like Peter says, we are the auditors. We keep our democracy in check. We are the checks and balances. Unfortunately we know that greed takes over when it becomes to financial means and though the us constitution is a beautiful document in 2017 do you trust your local congress person Are you trusting your politicians that they're making the best decision for you and your family? Or are they making the best decision that's going to benefit the wealthier family that lives down the street? Are they being bought out by large corporations? Okay, it all trickles down and up and around and... We discussed a lot of things on the show, and it's 610, and it's not a problem because it's an independent radio station, and I appreciate you listening, but look, in the past 150 years, I haven't looked at a timeline, a chronological timeline, but it seems like war... Is all too common if you look at that past 150 years. The Federal Reserve was put into law 1913, my memory recalls correctly. That's from a meeting that happened in Jekyll Island, 1911. I've lived in South Carolina, even though Jack, Jekyll Island is Georgia. I've been to Jekyll Island. It's the site of the first transcontinental, not Atlantic, continental telephone call. At Jekyll Island, a call was placed in New York. That went over to San Francisco. That was the first transatlantic, excuse me, transcontinental telephone call. Jekyll Island, New York, San Francisco. If you don't know. Jekyll Island? You should investigate it. Read about it. Know it. It just so happens that the Federal Reserve was written there. Okay. Peter has uncovered some of these layers that cloud the minds as they're littered with dollar bills of some of these lawmakers. And he's uncovered that information for good to benefit you, to benefit me, to benefit us in the name of Justice. So, yet again, ladies and gentlemen, we continue to bring incredible guests to this show. Peterlance.com. investigatingtrump.com. Follow Peter on Twitter. Reach out to him. Get his books. Find him on YouTube. I mean, the guy's been on The O'Reilly Factor. You name it. He writes for The Huffington Post. Allow him to be a source of education for you, of information for you. When a guy like him or a guy like you, or me for that matter, cracks a shell that a big, powerful guy like Comey, just throwing his name out there, or Trump, doesn't like and it reverberates and it goes viral because it's the truth. They don't like that. But we should be bent on auditing our government. And making sure that democracy stands tall in this republic. Very important. And for me, it all stems from the mandate from the CDC down to the state, Governor Scott, down to the county, Jimenez. To spray Dybrom. a highly potent, toxic... Agricultural pesticide... That had never been used on human population prior... To kill the threat of a Zika virus. That had been around since the 1940s. That is and was relatively harmless harmless. There's no direct link. The Zika itself, without taking into consideration immunotoxicology, or elements of toxicology in the environment, there's no direct link. The Zika causes microcephaly. None. However, there is science that shows and proves That dibrom, otherwise known as nailed or nailed, does cause microcephaly. So back in September, as I'm looking into this and I see pregnant women walking the streets being exposed to the pesticide that's being sprayed on Wynwood and Miami Beach, my heart sank. So as I had discussed with a friend earlier today, I would like to know those numbers locally. I'd like to know somehow the Zika scare was squashed. Where is it now? When was the last time you'd heard a story on Zika? Oh, the the DiBrom thing took care of it? Well, what I'd like to know, and if you're listening and you have the time, you can find this out, please call in next week. What I'd like to know is... What have been the cases of microcephaly in Miami-Dade since August of last year? Just out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity. I'm your host, Ian Trottier. This is Winwood Radio. You have just listened to Discussions. Next week, join me for numerology by numerologist Michael Brill, who in collaboration with myself will be bringing on relationship expert, because that's always important in life, Dr. Love Gabby Meese. Until next week, thanks for listening, and be awesome.